All right, so today we're going to start a new series. So every year leading up to Easter, my goal is for us to get to know Jesus. I, I feel like, I feel like um, sometimes what we do is we see the Easter story, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the, the way we see it is, um, is just somebody dying on a cross. And it means something to think that anybody would die for us. Right. But when you know that person, when you're connected to that person, like I love to watch videos online of people falling down. Love it. It is my favorite thing to do. Perry at night, like we'll be going to bed and I'll be laying on my side of the bed and the bed will be shaking because I'm laughing. And she's like, are you watching people falling down? I was like, 100 percent. That's all I'm doing. I'm just watching. I'm just scrolling, watching people get hurt. I love it. It's so much fun. But when I see one of my family members fall and get hurt. <laughs> I laugh, but I feel bad on the inside. It hurts. It means more. It's funnier. It's even funnier. No, I feel different when it's someone I know. And you got me off track, man. Be quiet. And so then when we're thinking about Christ, here's the thing, for real, for real. When you're thinking about Christ, if, if sometimes if all you think of is just somebody down on a cross, it means something. But when you know the person, when you're intimate with that person, then it means more. It means more. And so what I want to do is we're going to take the next few weeks, myself, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Mike, we're all going to take, take some messages over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. And we're going to talk about who Christ is, but not just who other people say he is. We want to look at what the Bible says that he says about himself. So there are some different I am's in the Bible that Jesus shares, um, mostly out of the book of John. And he talks about I am and he, and he says who he is. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter three. And I'm going to go ahead and, and give you a heads up. We are going to read a couple of big passages of scripture today. So just be aware. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be reading these scriptures to you. It's going to be on the screen. I would prefer. Listen. I really want you guys, get your phone out, get a real Bible, do something. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, I'll help you find one. I'll give you one. Um, but get a Bible, man. You need to get, get a phone out, get an iPad, find the Bible app, download it, follow along with me, um, because you need to, there's some stuff you need to be highlighting in your Bible that's important. So let's read Exodus chapter 3. Uh, let me set up the story. Moses, um, Moses has been in Egypt. He lived in Egypt. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Some historians say uh, that he might have been next in line to be uh, on the throne uh, of Egypt as, as a pharaoh. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what some people have said. And, and one of the things that happened is Moses was a Hebrew, but he was living an Egyptian life. And so he goes out one day and he sees the Egyptians treating the Hebrews bad. And Moses takes it upon himself to try to be the savior of the Hebrews. And he ends up killing an Egyptian. Turns out nobody appreciated that. And so they turn him in. So now uh, his adopted grandfather is trying to kill him. And so he runs for his life. He finds himself out in the middle of the desert. He becomes a shepherd and he marries this girl and he's living with her, her family. And he's being a shepherd for, her, for his father-in-law. And so one day, that's where we pick up the story. So one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He's from Alabama. The priest of Midian... 
He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses thought to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go look at it, right? How many of you, I mean, this is like perfect man from Alabama right here, 100%. You see a fire. I mean, Brandon, how many times have you had to turn men away from fires because they just want to go look at it? They're in your way. All my firemen in here, you probably have to turn people away all the time because we just like to look at fire. And that's what this guy did. Moses looks at the fire. I got to go see it. Verse 4. This is important. If you want to highlight something, highlight verse 4. This is meaningful. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Let me pause there. This isn't necessarily in my notes or part of my message today. But let me pause there and just give you a little thought on that. God does something to get Moses' attention, but notice that God doesn't speak to Moses until Moses pays attention. It's not until Moses looks at the fire, it's not until Moses walks up to inspect it that God begins to speak. And can I tell you something? There may be some of us in the room today that God is trying to get our attention. There may be some things in your life that are going on right now, and God's trying to get your attention, and He is waiting on you and me to just pay attention. Just lean in. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, uh, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. There's some stuff God might have for you today. There's some things he may want to be talking to you about today. And he's trying to get our attention. This message today may be trying to get our attention. The fact that you showed up at church today may be God trying to get your attention about some stuff. So let's lean in today. Let's really seek after God. Let's really see what the Bible has to say about Christ, what he has to say about us and what God wants to do in us. So he says, here I am. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father. Uh, You want to highlight verse 5, too. That's important. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, well, let, let me pause right there, too. Sorry, I got a lot of pauses to do today. Moses sees the fire. He hears the voice. He recognizes this is God. And what does he do? He kicks his shoes off. He covers his face. Why? Is he deathly afraid of God? Is he scared? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if he's been serving God. I don't know what he's trying to hide. I don't know what's going on in his life. But he has just stepped foot in the presence of a holy God. Can I tell you something today? We, I, I listened to some guy pastor, air quotes pastor. I listened to him talk about how he defines God the way he wants to define God. He defines Jesus the way he wants to define Jesus. And what we've done is we've established this culture in America where we're in charge, not him. So I can do what I want to do. And I expect God to do what I tell him to do. And our prayers are more commands than they are requests. Our conversation with God is more at our leisure getting what we want. It's not about submitting ourselves and having a relationship with him. Moses recognizes something important. Now listen, later on the Bible says God talks to Moses like a friend. But you don't get the friend part until you get the holy part. 
There's got to be a respect factor first. There's got to be a moment where we take our shoes off and we cover our face. There's got to be that place where God is God, where he is bigger than us. He's more powerful than us. And, and, and we need to recognize that fact. He's not just your buddy that does what you want him to do. Can we understand that today? This is important for later on in the message. You need to know this concept of taking your shoes off and covering your face. It's a place of putting God in a, in a, it's putting God in a place of holiness and respect and awe. And if we lose that, if we lose that awe of God, we lose the power of God in our life. We lose the relationship of God in our life. So anyways, let's keep going. That could be a message all on its own. It probably will be in the fall. So the Bible says this. The Bible says this, verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in, in Egypt. I have heard their cries and of distress because, they have, uh, because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. Uh, let me let you know today, God is aware of your suffering. He's heard your cries. He's heard your problems. Those of you that are struggling today, you're, you're going through uh, grief. You're going through mourning. You're going through problems. You're going through issues in your life. Can I tell you something? God has heard your cries. God has heard your suffering. He is not oblivious to what you're going through today. And some of you may say, yeah, but where is he? I, I haven't seen him. I haven't heard him. Listen, trust me, he's seen it. He knows. He knows. Verse 9. I'm skipping verse 8. Verse 9. Look, the cry, of my people, uh, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? In other words, Moses is saying, God, I've already tried this once, and they didn't like it. Like, I killed a man trying to lead your people, and nobody appreciated it. I'm not good at this. And then and, uh, and God said this in verse 12, I will be with you. This is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on, at this very mountain. Verse 13, uh, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? Verse 14, this is important. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Today's message is just simply titled, I am. It's just, I am. That's the title of the message today. If you were to go back and look at the Hebrew, when God says, I am, I know it sounds nonsensical. I know it sounds silly for anyone to say, hey, my name is, I am. Right? Like that doesn't make any sense. But whenever you go back and you look in the Hebrew and you start to unfold some stuff out of the book of Genesis, which is the book before Exodus, here, here's what the word, the, the phrasing there means in Hebrew. It means this, I will be who I will be. In other words, when God shows up in your life, he will be whatever it is that you need him to be in the moment that you need him to be that. Does that make sense? Are we hearing that today that you're not very excited about it? I'm really pumped up about it because I need God in my life. And there are different aspects of my life where I need him to intervene. I don't need the, 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 the God, uh, the, the old man with the long white beard sitting on a throne uh, with a halo around his head. Sometimes I need God to be some specific things in my life. And God told Moses, you tell Israel, you tell this band of slaves, you, you tell this group of people that are hurt and are broken, I will be whatever they need me to be. That's good. That's good. 
And so let's look back and see what, what that means, because they have to have a context for it. So the context is found in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis tells the story of Abraham. Abraham was one of the guys, the, the patriarchs of the Hebrew race. And so, so Genesis tells his story. And, and, and so here's what, here's what it says. In Genesis 14, 22, Abraham meets God. And, uh, Abraham meets this guy and he calls God, God most high creator of heaven and earth. In that moment in Genesis 14, Abraham recognizes that God is most high. In other words, he's, he's talking to some kings there in, in this story, and he's, he's putting God above all the kings of the earth. He's putting God above himself. In that moment, God was higher than all and creator of heaven and earth. In Genesis 16, Abraham had a slave, uh, a slave woman named Hagar, who was run off and sent out into the desert basically to die. And when Hagar gets out in the middle of the desert and, and she thinks she's about to die, God shows up in that moment. And Hagar calls God the God who sees me. For some of us today, we need the God who sees me. We're going through a struggle. We're going through a bad time. We're going through sickness and death. And we need to know that there's a God that sees me in the middle of my wilderness. In, in Genesis 17, Abraham calls him Almighty God. In Genesis 21, Abraham calls him the Everlasting God. In Genesis 22, 33, God told uh, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son to me. And so God takes Abraham, uh, God, I mean, Abraham takes Isaac, his son, and he's going to go sacrifice him. And just before he goes to sacrifice him, the Bible says that God stopped him from sacrificing his son because it was a test. He didn't really want him to kill his son. And he looks over, and in the bushes, there's a ram caught in the bushes. And God says, that ram is provided for you. And Abraham says, you are the God who provides. He's the God who provides. Listen. In the Old Testament, they just kept on coming up with names for God. He's the same God. They just kept, kept giving him new names because each name reflected the God who says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I'll be whatever you need in the moment that you need me. If you're on the mountaintop and your son's about to die, I'll provide a substitute for you. If you're in the wilderness and you think you're about to die, I'll be the one watching out over you. I will be whoever you need me to be. And so with that understanding of who God is, let's move into Jesus for a minute and let's look at John chapter 8. Now this is going to be the really long passage, but I want us to get to know Jesus. So if that's okay with you, if you can hang out with me for a minute and we'll go through this passage, it's going to help us understand Jesus a little bit better. Okay, so, so let's dive into him. So in this passage, we'll start in verse 31. John 8, 31. Now we're going all the way to 58. So it's going to be big. But let's read it. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. Who's he talking to? People that believe in him, right? Now listen, where he is, he's in the temple. There are people who believe in him. There are also religious leaders that do not like him. They're all in the crowd, right? They're all in the crowd. And so Jesus is talking to this whole crowd of people, knowing there's different people in the crowd. He's trying to talk to the people that believe in him, right? He's trying to talk to the people, but then other people start chiming in. It's kind of like when I'm trying to preach, and then my parents just chime in randomly, right? You get it. You know how it is. Y'all have lived this story. So it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
But then these other guys got to chime in. They always got to chime in. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Now, first of all, they'll never, they've never been slaves to anyone is the stupidest thing they could say. We just read a story out of Exodus where they were all slaves for 400 years. How do you just forget that? Then the Babylonians came in later and took them captive. For like another 70 years, they were captive in Babylonia, and Babylon was still in charge of them when they came back. Don't tell me you weren't slaves. They're just straight liars. That's the one thing I don't like is when people lie, because it just sounds stupid. What do you mean we'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Man, Jesus is hard. Guys, listen, if you want a soft Jesus that's not going to tell you the truth, then go find Buddha. Like, he's a much better Jesus for you. But my Jesus, the Bible Jesus, the real Jesus, he ain't easy. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son, big S, talking about himself, sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. Isn't that where we live today? People aren't trying to kill Jesus anymore, but we want to change him. We want to change him to fit. We want to kill this Jesus and replace him with a Jesus that fits what we want and fits our desires. Why? Because there's no room in our hearts for its message. I tell you what, it says, verse 38, I'm telling you what I saw when I I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. He doesn't tell them who their father is yet. He's holding on to that that chip for just a minute. It's going to be a good one, though. He's about to hit them in the face. Our father's Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, listen, this is cold. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. Who are they saying that to? Jesus. Why? Because nobody believed Mary's story. Nobody believed that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Christ. So right off the bat, they're like, we're not illegitimate like you. I bet your mama slept with a Roman soldier and your daddy just covered up for it. That's what they're saying to Christ. Let's see, we need to understand these small little things about Jesus and what he has to go through on a daily basis just trying to talk to his disciples. All he's trying to do is talk to us. He's just trying to preach a message and he can't even get halfway through it. They said, we are illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me for you are the children. Here it is of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Listen, let me pause right there. When you hear people say, live your truth, let me tell you what that means. That is from their father, the devil. Because there is no truth in him. So therefore, you have to create your own truth. 
live your truth. No, no, no. I don't live my truth. I live his truth. I live this. This is true. This is what I live. I can't make this up. I can't cherry pick what I want and what I don't want out of this. I got to live the whole thing. And so it's important that Jesus notices that. He says, you're trying to live your own truth, but there's no truth in you because you're, you're devil, uh, your father's the devil. He says, so when, so when I tell the truth that you just naturally don't believe me, verse 46, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? When they call him a Samaritan devil, they're calling him a heretic. They're calling him a, a, a mixed breed. And this is a, this, for, for the Jewish culture, this is a huge insult. Although he did say that their dad was a devil. So he's, I mean, he's getting, you know, they're going back and forth here. Verse 49, no, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He's the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Verse 52. We're getting close to the end. The people said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. And even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered. And I love that. Who do you think you are? He's about to answer. Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he's our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do not know him. Uh, but I, I mean, I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, we're almost done. The people said, you're not even 50 years old. Yeah, no joke, he was 30. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now that's a mic drop moment. Like that's a moment right there where whatever scroll he's holding, he threw it to the ground, right? Because listen, it's not just saying I am. He's not just saying I existed. What he's doing is he is calling back to the book of Exodus chapter 3. What he's doing is he is putting himself in the position of the bush. He is the flame in the, in the bush. He is the one speaking to Moses. He is God and he establishes that, that right there. Now, we think sometimes you're going to hear atheists and, the, and people that, that hate the Bible. They're going to say things like, Jesus never called himself God. Listen, they just don't know what they're talking about. Because when he said, before Abraham was, I am, he has established himself as God on this earth. Now, that's big. That's big because now everything we think about the God of the Old Testament, everything we think uh, about, about what happened with Moses, now we've got to tie it back to Christ. They're connected. They're one and the same. At that point, and listen, if you, if you uh, listen to some of these atheists, uh, if you're an atheist today and you're in the room or you're watching, it, listen, it, it's fine. Be an atheist. I mean, that's your choice, right? I'm not going to choose for you. But don't use the argument, he never said he was God. Because when he says this, look at the reaction that it gets from the people. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. 
But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. In, in other words, he made them all real mad. So mad they were ready to murder him. They were ready to murder him. So Jesus himself takes on the identity of I will be who I need to be when I need to be that. He takes on that identity. So today, for you and I, who does Jesus need to be? Who do you need him to be in your life? Who do you need to be him to be in your life right now with what you're going through, with what you're dealing with? Let me just give you a couple of things that he said about himself. And, 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 and later on, we're going to go through uh, with, with my dad and Pastor Nathan. We're going to go through all the things that he said about himself. And, and we're going to talk about those things. But let me just give them to you just quickly. Here's some of the stuff he said about himself and, and how we can apply it. When I'm lost, he's the shepherd that left the 99 to find me. When I wake up in a pig pen, he's the father waiting to restore me. When I need to get to God, he's the way. When I'm confused, he's the truth. When I feel spiritually and emotionally dead, he is life. When I die in him, he is the resurrection. We've had a lot of death in this house. I I went to three funerals. Uh, I told you guys this last week. I was at three different funerals. We've had a a, a lot of death pass through. Can I give you some hope today? If you're dealing with death and grieving and mourning, uh, the Bible says when I die in him, he is the resurrection and the life. In the end, he's pulling me up out of the ground, right? When I'm spiritually starving, he's the bread of life. When I'm trapped and blinded in the darkness of this world, he is the light. When I was a slave of, uh, to a life of sin, he was the lamb that was sacrificed on my behalf. When I feel fruitless, he's the vine that provides. When I'm in the storms of life, he's the prince of peace. And when I'm hurt, broken, or sick, he is my healer. Who do you need Jesus to be today? Who do you need Jesus to be today? Not who do you want him to be. We're not going to recreate him. We're not going to just put him where we want him. Who do you need him to be today? Here's the big one, though. Here's the big one. Most importantly, he is Lord. He is Lord. When I'm lost like a sheep without a shepherd, he is Lord. When I don't know which way to go, he is Lord. When I don't know how to live, he is Lord. Why? He is the one that is in charge. He is the one I am fully submitted to. He is Lord. Everybody say, he is Lord. That's important because that word Lord is used a couple of times. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter, Peter is a main guy. He's going to use the word Lord twice. Peter's important here because Peter was kind of like Moses was. He tried to take uh, matters into his own hands all the time. If you don't remember this, it was Peter who, when Jesus was being arrested, that pulled out a sword and chopped off a guy's ear. That was Peter. As though God can't protect himself, right? Like, that's Peter. It was Peter that whenever, whenever Jesus um, shows up on a mountaintop with, with Moses and Elijah appearing and, and they're all glowing and, and it's an amazing moment, the, the likes of which we've never seen before or since. And, and Peter sees that. It's Peter that says, let's start building some houses, boys. And God literally tells Peter to shut up. Like he's like interrupts him and says, stop talking. Right? Like, like that's Peter. So Peter didn't have this understanding, even when he was with Christ, of Christ being Lord. See, Lord is different than Savior. Savior means he saves me from my sins, and that's important. We need a Savior, but we need a Lord. A Lord is the one that dictates how we live our life. We need a Lord. 
Peter said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He's preaching a message, and, and, and towards the end of his message, he's getting to the altar call, and he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter says there's one thing you got to know, folks. you got to believe with all your heart that he's your Lord and your Messiah. Yeah, we want him to save us from our sins, but we want to be able to live every day. 1 Peter 3.15, this is Peter again. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. What does it mean to be Lord? Here's what it means to be Lord. When you stand in front of the Lord, take your shoes off and cover your face. When I stand in front of the Lord, I recognize I'm not worthy to stand in front of him. I'm not worthy to be there. When I stand before the Lord, when I worship, when I worship him as Lord, I'm not just singing songs anymore. Now, all of a sudden, this is something deeper. This is coming from a different place. When I worship him as Lord, when I establish him, when I set him aside as the Lord of my life, now all of a sudden, I don't live for me anymore. I don't live for my desires. I don't live for what I want. I don't do the things that I do just because I want to do them. Now I do them because he wants me to do them. I do them because he has a plan for my life, and I submit everything I have to him. Because I love him and I'm submitted to him. And what we want today in our, in our society, in our culture, is we want someone to forgive us of all the stuff we've done. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to submit to that same person. Make me feel good. Take away my guilt. I, I feel bad because of what I did over the weekend. Um, what I did Friday night, I feel bad. I feel bad for the way I talked to my wife. I feel bad for the way uh, I talked to my kids. I feel bad for, for uh, getting uh, hammered the other night. I feel bad for cheating on my spouse. I feel bad for, for looking at that porn. I feel bad for whatever it is. Fill in the blank. I feel bad for gossiping. I feel bad for hating somebody. Just get the guilt off of me. But I don't want to submit. And what Peter says is, he can be the bread of life. He, he can be the light of the world. He, he can be the vine. He can be all these things. But he better be Lord. He better be Lord, first and foremost. Yes, the Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, the Bible says he came as a servant. But he's also returning, the Bible says, as king of kings and lord of lords. He's not controlled by us. He's not defined by us. He is not my homeboy. I love Jesus. My homeboy, my friend, my buddy, uh, Pastor Jonathan and I are... are um, I mean, he, he would consider me his best friend, probably. And um, no, we, we're, we're, we're brothers-in-law, but we are very good friends. We're best friends. We've known each other for a long, long time. If I do something wrong, if I screw up, I go to Jonathan. And I'm like, hey, man, I just want you to know I screwed up, man. Just pray with me, help me. And you know what Jonathan says? He'll tell me the truth, but a lot of times he's like, hey, man, it's okay. It's all, it's all good. He, but he's going to tell me the truth. He's going to say, hey. You need to stop this. You're being an idiot. 
Don't talk like that anymore. Don't act like that. He, he's going to tell me the truth. Now, if I just got some homeboys around, just some buddies around, they're not going to tell me that. And that's how we treat Jesus. And we buy the T-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy, God is dope, whatever the T-shirt says. And that's all fine, and I get, I understand where they're coming from, I understand it. But the problem is when we start living our life that way. When we lose that familiar, that we gain that familiarity to the point that he's, a, he's just a buddy, he's not Lord anymore. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses as a friend. But the Bible also says that Moses didn't mess around with God. Like when Moses showed up to God, my father-in-law used to always tell me, he'd say, Gabriel, when you go to God, you go flying in low. You don't come in high. You don't come in, you know, trying to be somebody. You don't come in with pride. He said, you always fly in low. Why? Because he's your Lord. Don't forget that part. Yeah, he's your father. Yeah, he's your friend, but he's your Lord first. This morning, what I want you to do, we're going to take communion. And so underneath your seat, I want you to get out your communion cup. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. This is not Welch's. Okay. This is not Welch's. This is grape juice. This is non-alcoholic. So, kids, you know, you're good. But now these prepackaged little things, I don't know how long they've been sitting in Walmart Distribution Center. They may taste fermented. I'm just going to give you a heads up. But we're not taking communion today as a snack. It's sitting a snack. They're sitting for the taste, right? There's meaning behind what we're about to do. There's meaning behind. So I want to read one more passage, and then I'm going to have you stand up, and we're going to take communion. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, now Paul's got a problem, and the problem is communion. So the way we do communion is not, uh, this is not what we would call biblical communion. Biblically, what these guys did, first of all, it was based on Passover, which was a, a feast. So if we were doing this legit, we would have tables set out full of food, right? Now, that was the Jewish Passover, but then the Christian church, once it was established, they started doing communion Often, like they said, we're not waiting for Passover. We're going to do communion every time we get together. But here was the problem. They would all bring food. It, it was like a big potluck meeting. Y'all remember potluck dinners? They would all bring food. But in those days, it was still a caste system. And so you would have your, your wealthy, your high-end people would bring lots of food. And then your poor people would just bring a little bit of food. And with the Corinthian church, um, if you ever feel like, man, I am just... I am not a good Christian. Read Corinthians. You'll feel so much better about yourself. Because these guys were jacked up. The Corinthian church, here's what they were doing. They would come in and all the rich people would eat so much that they would get full. And they would drink so much they would get drunk. And they would leave the poor people out. But the goal was that we all share together. So if I bring three buckets of KFC and throw them on the table, but, but you just bring a, a plate of brownies, then you get my KFC and I get some of your brownies, right? You get it. We all share. But the Corinthian church, they were saying, no, 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 this, all the good food is for us because I'm rich. So Paul, with that context, Paul is just lighting into them. 
And so he gets down to verse 23, and he starts kind of getting a little bit more easy on him, uh, a little bit. He says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. This is talking about the Last Supper. If you've ever seen the painting, uh, the Da Vinci painting, the Last Supper, it depicts this, the last time Jesus ate communion with his uh, Passover meal with his disciples. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it, uh, thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. This is key. Listen, do this in remembrance of me. We, we take that word remembrance, and because it's an odd way, an odd phrasing, we, we don't use it very often. But all it, does, all it means is, do this and remember me. Jesus said, remember me when you take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this is the cup of the new covenant between God and uh, his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. This is a point of hope for these people every single time. Every single time they get together, man, this would change the way we go to a Mexican restaurant after church. If every single time we got together to eat, we picked up our first glass and we said, guys, we're going to remember the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. And we're going to take this. Listen, listen, dads, this will change dinner time at your house. If we could, I know we're probably not going to remember every single time. The reality of that is, is not lost on me. But, but if we could on occasion get our family together and say, listen, as we drink this Sprite, Gatorade, root beer, whatever it is you're drinking, as we drink this tonight, we're remembering that there's a covenant that we have with God, that he forgives us of all of our sins, that his blood was shed to cover us. When we take the bread or whatever food it is you're eating and you begin to say, as we eat this, we remember as we break this food, we remember that his body was broken for our healing. It changes, changes some stuff. And Paul's saying every time you do it, what are you doing? You're announcing the Lord's death. You're talking about what he did on in the past for me until he comes. In other words, I'm talking about what he did in the past, but I'm looking forward to what's happening in the future. So when I take communion, I'm not just drinking grape juice and eating a little wafer. There's something happening in the spiritual. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So a couple of things I want you to notice on that one. He says, if you do it unworthily, what does that mean? Does that mean, Pastor, if I got, if I got sin in my heart and I drink this cup, am I going to die? Well, A, you're going to die anyway. We all die. B, that's not what it's talking about. If anybody needs to take communion, it's people that are in sin. If anybody needs to remember that Jesus died on the cross, it's somebody that doesn't know him. That's the main person that needs to take communion today. So if you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Christ today, you're the reason we're taking communion. This is for you. No, no, no. Being unworthy means that I'm taking this cup because my buddy next to me is taking the cup. I'm taking this cup because the church told me to drink the cup. I'm taking the cup. It's just grape juice. I don't care anything about it. I'm just doing it because everybody else is doing it. It's become a party to me. That's what happened in the book of Corinthians. It became a party, and they were doing it out of a place of social uh, status, not out of a place of spiritual meaning. 
So Paul says, here's what you need to do. Before you take communion, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Just, David did this all the time. There's multiple passages where David said, search me, O God. So I want you to do that. Why don't you stand up with me today? Stand up and close your eyes. I say this all the time. There's nothing magic about closing your eyes. The Bible says watch and pray. But today I want you to close your eyes for a minute because I don't want you focused on the band. I don't want you focused on me. I don't want you focused on the people around you. I want you just to close your eyes just for a second. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, I want you just in yourself, just say, God, search me today. What is it today that I need to remember? For some of us, we need to remember that he is the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. He's the one that died on the cross as a substitute. He's the ram that whenever Abraham was trying to, was having to kill his only son, he's the ram stuck in the bushes that became a substitute for Isaac. Listen, some of us today need to, need to remember that we are the Isaac and that he is the ram and he takes our place on the altar. And that blood's going to remind us of that. That grape juice is going to remind us of that. Some of us today, we need to remember that he is our healing. That when we're sick and we're broken, and listen, it's not just about the Bible. The book of James doesn't just talk about healing in our physical man. He talks about healing in our mind, will, and emotions. Some of us today are brokenhearted, and what do we need to remember? We need to remember that the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. Some of us need to remember today that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Some of us need to remember that he is the bread of life when I'm spiritually starving. Some of us need to remember today whenever we're in the darkness that he is the light of the world. Who do you need the I am to be for you today? That's what I want you to remember. That's what I want you to remember. So I want you to take your cup, peel that top back. You're going to take that wafer out first. And as you hold on to that wafer, well, as you take that wafer, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and start eating it. I'm going to pray for you. God, right now, we, as we take this wafer, we remember that your body was broken. We remember that your body was broken. We remember that your body was, was broken for our healing, God, so that we could be healed. God, not just for my physical man, and I do claim physical healing, and I believe in physical healing, but God, at the end of the day, I can go to heaven with a broken leg, but I need my heart healed. I need my mind healed, God. I don't want to think those thoughts anymore. I don't want to walk around in anxiety and fear anymore. God, I need some healing inside of me. So today as we take the bread, God, we just remember that you're our healer. Hold up that cup for me. And God, today before we take this cup, I just pray over the cup. And I just believe today that as we take this cup, God, that that you're going to remind us of who you are. You're going to remind us of what you've done. And, and I know Easter is coming and we're going to be focused on that. But God, today remind us, because there's some of us today that we're living in sin. There's some of us today that we're struggling with some addiction, God. There's some of us today that, that we got some thought lives that need to change. There, there's some of us today that just need to remember. Maybe, maybe we're struggling with having mercy and forgiveness for other people. And we need to just remember that when we were still sinners, when we were living in a pig pen, you were standing at the door waiting on us to come home, ready to clothe us and ready to put new shoes on our feet and a ring on our finger. God, we need to remember that you're the father. You're the shepherd that goes after the, the one and leaves the 99. You're, you're the lady that turns her house upside down looking for the one coin. And God, we need to remember that today. 
So remind us. Be the I am today in my life. Whatever I need you to be, be that. Even if it hurts my feelings, be that. Be the Lord of my life today. I surrender. I can't do it on my own. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take that cup. As you take that cup, these guys are going to sing a song. One last song we're going to dismiss. And I've got some people that are going to come down. If you need prayer for anything today, we want to pray with you this morning. If you don't need prayer and you want to sing for a minute, go get your kids, do that. But we want to pray with you this morning for anybody that's dealing with something. Maybe you just say, I need God. I need the I am. I need Jesus to be something special today. And I want to pray with you this morning. So come on down to the front as they sing this last song.